invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Today we'll examine verses 18 through 22. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. As we think about this subject, count the cost, the radical call to follow Jesus. Count the cost, the radical call to follow Jesus. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight Southern Baptist missionaries have given their lives as martyrs in the 21st century. Three were murdered by a crazed Islamic man in Jibla, Yemen. One was killed in an explosion by terrorists in the Philippines. And the other four were slain in Iraq. One of those killed in Iraq was a young lady, a young single lady named Karen Watson. Karen had not been a Christian, but only a few years. And before she went to Iraq as a missionary, she counted the costs. She knew that she was going to a very dangerous part of the world. And so she wrote a letter that she left with her pastor's seal not to be opened unless she didn't come home. And following her death, her pastor opened the letter and among other things, Karen Watson penned these words. You should only be opening this letter in the event of death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to the nations, to a place, I was called to him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected, his glory, my reward. How different that kind of costly commitment is from that which characterizes most of evangelical Christianity in the 21st century. John Stott, for many years pastor of the All Souls Church in London, said regarding nominal Christianity, which characterizes much of the so-called Christian West, the Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. All too many people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the greatest scandal of so-called nominal Christianity. He continues, in countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become a little bit involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. 
No wonder cynics complain of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. So today, count the costs. The radical call to follow Jesus. Our text is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, only five brief verses, verses 18 through 22. I invite your attention to the reading of God's Word. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Try as we might, it is impossible to domesticate Jesus. Jesus refuses to fit into our categories, our carefully chosen career plans and goals. Jesus makes unconventional and uncomfortable, even radical demands on those who seek to follow him. And we see it in this text for our consideration this morning. Now, a little background here. We won't take the time to look back in the previous verses, but Jesus had spent a long day there on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was the hometown of Peter, and he had been ministering there. Many people had been healed that day uh, through the supernatural power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many demons had been cast out of uh, demon-possessed people, and the day was done, and Jesus was exhausted, and Jesus was looking for some rest, and so uh, he gave orders to his, uh, his disciples uh, to cross to the other side of the lake, and there they could find a quiet place uh, to rest. Now, we, we find here in, in, this, in this text for our consideration uh, that uh, Jesus had encounters with two would-be followers. And to both of them, Jesus said, count the costs. Uh, before you agreed to come and travel with me and be one of my disciples, you must first count the cost because once you count the cost, you may decide you don't want to be my follower. And the cost is exceedingly high. Now, what Jesus said to them 2,000 years ago, Jesus is saying to every single one of us gathered in this room today. And so as we think about these two encounters that Jesus had here on the, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, I want us to think not in terms as I normally think of with a simple declarative sentence, but I want us to use two interrogative sentences, two questions that that we should ask ourselves about this text and about ourselves. And each one of these questions relates to each one of these individually, each one of these two prospective followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's ask these questions this morning and let's have a self-examination. Not the person seated next to you, but ask these questions about yourself. 
as a faithful, loyal member of Lakeview Baptist Church, as a professed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is incumbent upon us to ask ourselves these very disturbing questions. The first question based in verses 19 and 20 is this, am I willing to surrender my comfortable lifestyle to follow Jesus? Am I willing to surrender my comfortable lifestyle to follow Jesus? Now, to my knowledge, every one of us assembled in this room today has a comfortable lifestyle, some perhaps more so than others. I know of no Lakeview member who does not have hot and cold running water in his home, nor do I know of any homeless Lakeview member. Uh, and yet there are people in our world, there are people in our community who are homeless, who do not have a roof over their heads, who do not, there are people in our world who do not have access to clean drinking water, who do not have an automobile to transport them from one place to another. We have many, many creature comforts that multitudes around the world do not have and only dream of having. Why do you think there are so many people who are trying to cross our southern border? because they don't have these things that we take for granted and they, they want to experience the good life as we have it here in the United States. And so this, this first encounter that Jesus had, uh, verse 19, was a teacher of the law. This teacher of the law came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, teacher or rabbi, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, if Jesus was like most of us, he'd say, well, this is good. I mean, I've been hanging out with these rabble rousers, these fishermen that smell like fish all the time. And I got, a, I got a crooked tax collector here in my crowd and I got a zealot who wants to overthrow the Roman government. And here's a scribe, here's a teacher. This will up my game to have him in my, in my uh, uh, group of people who travel with me. A teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm a volunteer, sign me up. And notice Jesus' reply. He was not impressed that this man was a teacher of the law. Verse 19, verse 20, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, verse 20, Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, Jesus said, uh, uh, Mr. Scribe, uh, before you start following me, you might want to know that you may lose some creature comforts. I mean, uh, a fox has a, a den to go to and a bird has a nest to go to when it's time to rest. But, but the son of man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't have a roof over his head. He's, he's homeless at this stage in the journey. Now, granted, Jesus had a roof over his head during the 30 years of his uh, life when he was a uh, uh, being reared in the home of Joseph and Mary there in Nazareth. But now during the three years of his public ministry, Jesus was without shelter. Now he was dependent upon the generosity and the kindness and the hospitality of others like Mary and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus who lived in Bethany. Jesus often went there to rest. Jesus was dependent upon the financial support of people, women like Susanna. But Jesus obviously spent many a night during the three years of his public ministry under the starry Middle Eastern 
sky. Jesus said to this teacher, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying, be sure this is what you want to do. You better first count the cost because it may mean that like your master, you won't have a roof over your head. So there was no guarantee of a roof over this man's head. There was a guarantee of something better though. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you follow me, then you have me. <laughs> if you follow Jesus, you have Jesus. You may not have a roof over your head, but you got something better than a roof over your head. You have intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing surpasses that. David Platt said, and I quote, following Christ may mean losing everything in this world. Really, David? Let me read it again. Following Christ may mean losing everything in this world. This is another problem with the prosperity gospel. It makes Jesus a means to an end. You come to Jesus to get health and wealth and anything else you want, just fill in the blank. The problem David Platt says, is that you shouldn't come to Jesus to get stuff. You come to Jesus to get Jesus. <laughs> you may lose everything in this world, but he is enough. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is enough? Do you believe if you lost everything you have, but the clothes on your back and food for the day, and you have the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have enough to be fulfilled and satisfied in this world? We should, if we believe the Bible. But the devil has sold us a bill of goods saying, well, I've got to have Jesus, but I've got to have X and Y and Z and A and B and C and this and that. I've got to be comfortable. And Jesus said to this teacher of the law, are you willing to surrender your comfortable lifestyle? We don't know the answer to that, but apparently the answer was, no. Then there's a second encounter the Lord Jesus Christ has here in verses 21 and 22. Verses 21 and 22. And here's the question to ask about these two verses. Am I willing to experience family trauma to follow Jesus? And I thought long and hard about what word to use there for trauma, and I think that's the right word to use. Am I willing to experience family trauma to follow Jesus? Because in many cases, to follow Jesus means you will experience family trauma. You'll be ostracized, you'll be rejected, you'll be criticized, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Look at verses 21 and 22. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, apparently Jesus had not taken Dale Carnegie's course on how to win friends and influence people. Let the dead bury their dead? How heartless. 
How cold-hearted, how cruel can Jesus be to say to a man who wanted to first go and bury his father, let the dead bury their dead? Now, we don't really know if this man's father has, was, had just died and there was about to be a funeral, or if he was in advanced years and probably had a few more years to live, and this, this volunteer to follow Jesus was saying, well, I just need to take care of my, my infirm parents, and when they're gone, then I'll come follow. We don't really know. The Bible doesn't say. We do know this, that in, in first century Israel, when a person died, they were buried the day of their death. So if this man's father had just died, then he would be with the family about to engage in a funeral service and a burial. So more than likely, what, ha what we have here is, this man comes to Jesus and said, I wanna follow you, but I, I need to, I need to wait until my elderly father passes. He may have a few more months or years. And then once uh, uh, he's no longer with us, then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus said, uh, no, no, not going to happen that way. So what's he saying here? He's saying that loyalty to the call of Jesus supersedes every other loyalty, including loyalty to your family. Now, any way you cut this, this is radical. This goes contrary to almost everything you and I believe about family life, doesn't it? But the Bible is countercultural, and the message of Jesus is countercultural, not just the American culture and not just the evangelical church culture, but every country, every culture, anywhere, any generation, any century, Jesus is countercultural. But we've domesticated him to such a degree that we want to fit Jesus into our mold and our shape. And we'll serve Jesus when it's convenient for us to serve Jesus. And when it's not, then, well, we'll just sort of put him on the side. The problem with that is Jesus won't allow us to do that and call him Lord. Now, you think, well, that's just an aberrant passage right there. Is there anything else Jesus had to say about it? Yeah, there's a lot Jesus had to say in the Gospels. Let me just look at one in the neighborhood here. Look in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 through 39. Just turn a page or so to Matthew chapter 10. And in verse uh, 34, these are the words of Jesus. I do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What kind of sword? A sword to divide families. That's the kind of sword Jesus came to bring. He elaborates, verse 35, for I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What is Jesus saying here? Now, Jesus is not anti-family. The Bible must be taken as a whole. And what we read elsewhere in the Bible about husbands love your wives and wives follow your husbands and parents, uh, children honor your parents, that, that's all a part of, of the mosaic of what the Bible teaches but what Jesus is saying here is there, 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 there will come a time in the lives of some people in order to follow me, you're going to have to disappoint mom or dad or grandparents. There's going to be trauma in the family when you announce to them, hey, God has called me to go to some uh, unreached tribe in the Amazon jungle or some unreached, unengaged people group high in the Himalayas of Asia. And they're going to say, what? You're taking my grandkids away from me? God can't be pleased with that. 
Well, apparently he can. If you believe Jesus and take Jesus at his word, for sure. Thomas Reiner, who teaches New Testament at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary said of this passage, and I quote, we must beware of oversimplifying Jesus' message. Many think that Jesus came to bring peace and harmony, and this is obviously true, but he also came to bring division. If our family members do not side with Jesus, we must decide whether we will stand with Jesus or with our families. Divisions may even separate members of the same household, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. If family members turn against God or have never turned to him and we side with him to please them, we are siding against Jesus. The Lord gives grace, for there's nothing sweeter and more delightful than knowing Jesus. We are not to make our families an object of idolatry. Families are wonderful, but we are prepared to meet Jesus only if he is first in our hearts. And when Jesus is first, has the place of preeminence in our hearts, then we'll go wherever Jesus sends us, even if it causes trauma in our family. This is the call of God. This is the radical call of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how can he make such demands? Because he's God. He's God the Son. That's how he can make such demands. He can do what he wants to. We, we don't tell him how to organize his universe or his church. He tells us. And he's told us plainly here in this passage in Matthew chapter 8. And James Montgomery Boyce was many years pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, wonderful Bible expositor. And uh, Boyce said this, and I quote, if Jesus is God, then the demands of his kingdom become ever more radical than we have imagined. When we hear Jesus saying that we must hate our fathers and mothers, our wives and our children in order to be his disciples, it seems shockingly extreme. Voice continues, but if he is God, it is not extreme at all. If he is God, nothing could be possibly, nothing he could possibly demand is outrageous. If he is God, we owe him total obedience and total self-surrender. Now in God's great providence, we have 80 plus Lakeviewers serving around the world, but many of them, not all, thank God, but many of them have gone in obedience to the call of God to take the saving gospel to those who have never heard over the vehement protests of their mother and father and their grandparents. And across the years, I know of nobody like this at Lakeview, but across the years and other churches I've heard of, they've been cut out of the family inheritance because they obeyed the call of God to go to the mission field. If we wait till everybody approves our going to the mission field, we'll have far, far, far fewer people who are going with the message of salvation. Now, Jesus may or may not call you and me to a life of hardship. 
Jesus may or may not call you or me to leave behind family and friends and a comfortable life, familiar surroundings, and go to a hard place to proclaim the gospel to some unreached, unengaged people group, tribe, or nation. But he may. He may not, but he may. And if he does, the question is, will you obey? If he does. It's not easy to serve Christ in many parts of the world. I've interviewed Baptist pastors in Havana, Cuba, some years ago, who spent years in Castro's prison just for preaching the gospel. I've interviewed uh, Christian evangelists in India who've been stoned, beaten, and run out of town for preaching the gospel. I want you to see a, a photo of one I met many years ago, 30 years ago now, when I first went to India. name is Moses. I was traveling around the country with my friend Ashok preaching in different venues, different groups. On this particular night, we were in Hyderabad at the center operated there by Operation Mobilization, founded by George Brewer. And I met a little man there named Moses. I heard his story. Moses was a street evangelist in India. Moses was preaching the gospel in public squares. Five times he was beaten for preaching the gospel. Three of those times he was beaten unconscious. And Moses said, I'm going back on the streets to preach Christ. And when I met Moses and heard his story, I said, here, take my camera. I want my picture made with this man. And it's been in my prayer closet ever since. To remind me of the price that our brothers and sisters in Christ have to pay to stand for Christ in South Asia. Do you understand that what we have here in the United States is not normal? that most of our brothers and sisters in Christ pay a high price for their, to, to stand for, for, for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's true not only there, but it's been true for 2,000 years of church history. Go read church history for yourself and find out. We've been in this little bubble now for about 250 years of religious liberty. And we get our feelings hurt if somebody says something unkind about us because we try to talk to them about Jesus. fact of the matter is, Jesus said there's a high price to pay, a high price to pay to follow him. Look at it one more time. Just look in the text. Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Here's an eager volunteer. And Jesus replied, count the costs. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You may end up with no place to lay your head if you follow me. Verse 21 and 2, another said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, the question of the hour is really two questions. Two questions that every one of us needs to ask himself or herself and give an honest answer to. Two questions. Number one, am I willing to surrender my comfortable lifestyle to follow Jesus if Jesus leads me to go to an uncomfortable place in the world? Am I willing to do so? And the second question is, am I willing to experience family trauma to follow Jesus? Am I willing to go against the wishes of my mother and my father and other family members who think I've lost my mind because I'm taking their grandchildren to some faraway difficult place in obedience to the call of God? Those are, every, those are questions every one of us must ask himself or herself and we must answer. And you know without me saying it, there's only one proper response. It's yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I will follow you. I graduated college in December of 1970 and I went with a Presbyterian pastor friend of mine the last week of the year, 1972, Urbana, Illinois. On the campus of the University of Illinois was a missionary conference hosted by the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and so we went. Though I'd been a Baptist ministerial student in a Christian college for three years at that time, no one had ever once confronted me with the possibility that the Lord might want me to serve him somewhere other than the United States of America. But for that week, that last week in December 1970, one missionary speaker after another after another confronted us with the demands of Christ to take the gospel to all the peoples of the earth. And on December 31st, 1970, we were challenged with this, this challenge. You couldn't come forward because the arena was full. 18,000 students, the floor was full, all the bleachers were full. We were asked to say to the Lord, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere you go. If you're willing to just give God an unconditional yes, would you please stand? And I stood. That's been almost 51 years ago now. I've never had any reason to take that commitment back. God knows my heart. God knows I'd go tomorrow, anywhere in the world he would send me. You say, why haven't you gone? Why have you been here all these years? Because of the will of God. God's will for me is to be your pastor all these many years. But I would have gone at any time during the course of those 42 years had God led me away. The important thing is not 
that everybody go to a hard place. The important thing is that we all be willing to go wherever God sends us. That's the important thing. Most are not going to be called to be missionaries. Most people are not missionaries. Missionaries are those unique people who have a, a unique call of God to, to transcend cultures and languages and go to places where the gospel has not gone and there to preach Christ baptize the converts, establish them in churches and move on to another place where the gospel has not been heard and do it again and again and again. That's the missionary call. And for the most part, most of us will be behind the scenes sending through our prayers and through our gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering those whom God has, been, has called to go. But some are being called to go. And some of you are being called to go. And you know that. And you struggle with that. Not just this past week in our missions festival. You've been thinking about it for a long time. And you must count the cost first. But all of us need to come to the place where we say to the Lord, yes. I'll stay right here in Lee County till Jesus comes. But Lord, if you want me in Asia or Africa or Latin America or Europe or the islands of the sea, then put me there. You fill in the blanks, God. I'm just signing the check. I'll go anywhere. That, that's, that's the kind of a radical obedience that Jesus is demanding here in Matthew's gospel, chapter 8. And the fact of the matter is, it is impossible to say to the Lord Jesus, no Lord. Now you can articulate those two words, N-O-N-O, -no, L-O-R-D, Lord. I just articulated them for you. But if Jesus is Lord, there's only one thing you can say to the Lord Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. No limits, no geographical limitations, no restraint, just yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you, whatever you have for me, the answer is yes. And so, if we're going to honor the Lord, we must obey. Just simply obey. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You've heard the call of God in your life and you are delaying. You're not moving toward the call of God in your life then you're disobedient. Our choir sang that wonderful hymn of the faith this, earlier this service, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Can you sing those words? Can you? Many years ago, I spent nine days at Port Dixon, Malaysia, preaching and teaching the Bible to our Southern Baptist missionaries from several Southeast Asian, Asian countries. It was a great experience for me to meet these missionaries, to interact with them, to get to know their stories. Some of the greatest people in God's kingdom I met that week. Some of them have been here to speak to us in recent decades. We came to the last day. 
I preached for the last time. And uh, those missionaries, about 60 or 70 of them, they wanted to recommit themselves to the call of God in their lives. And so they began to sing, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And they gathered around the altar there, all of them just singing that song. And I stood off to the side with tears streaming down my eyes as I listened to those soldiers of the cross re-enlist one more time and say, to Jesus, their commander-in-chief, wherever he leads, I'll go. That ought to be the heart cry of every blood-bought son and daughter of God. When you think of the awful price that Jesus had to pay to purchase our redemption, his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, the abuse that he took on the cross, how could we say anything other than yes, yes, yes to the Lord Jesus Christ? The fact of the matter is, Jesus is the one and only Savior and the same Jesus that saved you and me from our sins is the same Jesus that will save Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims and animists and tribals and atheists if we'll come to him. We got to get the message to them. And so it's time for us to once again count the costs. No reservation, no hesitation. Everything's on the table. Here's my life, Lord Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you lead. God, our Father, I pray now that you will speak in such a powerful way to this Lakeview Faith family that no not one single member would hold anything back but say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you lead, across the street, down the street, across town, even to the ends of the earth. To walk with you as my Lord. And for those who need to know Christ, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.